almost feel like my voice is a little hoarse. Wow, that, that was that was a special moment. I'm just being honest. My my, my spirit is stirred and um, just um, behold our God, right? What an anthem of invitation to come and worship our King to say, man, this is our God. This is the one whom we are worshiping. Man, I'm excited. Are you? I mean, like just my heart is just overflowing like that is my King. That is my God this morning. Wow. What I mean, what a moment, right? I mean, God, guys, man, do you feel that? I mean, like, I remember, like, in the eruption zone, like, in that moment, like, in the game, and when we used to win regularly and consistently, right, you could count on it. But, like, that moment in the game when they bring that big K out, man, and, like, that thing would just be turning, and all the cheerleaders, you'd be like, yeah, like, everything in you. Like, I, like, I mean, I feel that so much more. Like, that was so temporary. This is, like, eternal. This is the king. It's fitting. It's right. It's worthy of it. Wow, that's our God. How, I mean, that's the best news ever. Man, mm. Tommy walked and say, I'm tore up from the floor up, man. I mean, I just, man, I'm excited this morning. Just, I mean, just the spirit, just of God worshiping. I mean, just, I remember Dr. Wigginton standing here at my ordination all those years ago and say that Blake was like a tornado in tennis shoes. I mean, I'm telling you, I've worked on some of that, so I don't talk so fast and go so crazy. But man, I'm so excited this morning, just who God is and just praising his name. Wow. All right. Well, let's get to it. We're in Matthew, right? We've been working our way through Matthew's gospel. Uh, we're in the 18th chapter this morning. Uh, as Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, and again, helping them understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus now sharing with his disciples of what does it look like, right? What does the Christian community look like? We've talked about how that ultimately speaks of the church, right? And so we're looking through it. This morning, we're, we're going to wrestle with, with a tough topic, forgiveness, Right? It may bring out some deep hurts from you, may bring out some scabs and things that you thought, scars that it maybe have healed, but you can still remember that. Some things may be fresh. There may be some open wounds in this room this morning of people that are hurting. And I'm going to ask a really important question that actually Peter asked. How many times should I forgive someone? I think for me, one of the absolute greatest examples of forgiveness that I've ever heard about was Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you know about Corey Ten Boom. But she was a Dutch Christian who spent years helping the Jews escape away from the Nazis. Ultimately, she was captured, and and she went in. And many times, let's be honest, men and women were treated really, really horrific. And women sometimes experience especially harsh treatment. And and so it's years later after the war, and she's free, and she's at a church actually sharing about forgiveness and some of the experience she had. And in the midst of that crowd that morning, she looks out and she sees one of the guards who had mistreated her and her family. And she looks out and sees this man. Says that after the service, the guard came up. He has no idea, right? Can you imagine that many prisoners? She had, he has no idea, but she knows him. And, and he comes up to her at the end and he, he asks her he's, this question as he sticks out his hand. Do you forgive me? I want to read to you from her diary. I had to take the man's hand. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. I told myself, I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Jesus, you supply the feeling. And as I reached out my hand, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, 
And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I think today's text is going to show us that we can often maybe feel like refusing to forgive others is in fact protecting us, but the truth is it's robbing us. We can feel like, man, not forgiving someone's protecting us, but in the truth is it's robbing us. It's robbing us of a right relationship with God. It's also robbing us of being restored to our fellow image bearers. I think today's text allows us to wrestle with this big idea. Christ extended extravagant forgiveness to us. We extend extravagant forgiveness to others. Christ extended extravagant forgiveness to us. We extend extravagant forgiveness to others. I've heard it said this way, and I think maybe this is a snapshot you can take with you today, is this statement. To err is human. To forgive is Christian. Hear that again. Take that, maybe that's a snapshot you take with you today. To err is human. To err, to sin is human. To forgive is Christian. In today's text, again, we're going to ask maybe a question that you've probably wrestled with at some point in life. Right. I mean, you've wondered it, thought it, had to deal with it. That question of how many times should I forgive someone? The good news is this. Peter asked that very question to Jesus and he answers it. Let's get to it. How many times should I forgive someone? Picking up in verse 21 of Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now listen, here again, listen to this statement. How often will my brother sin against me? Now remember, if you were this last week, back in verse 15 through 20, that's the very thing that Jesus was talking about. He said, if your brother sins against you or your sister sins against you, go to him one-to-one, right, showing them the fault, do it alone in private. If they listen to you, you have gained your brother. So Peter now follows up to say, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? So you just talked about this call to forgive. How many times should I actually forgive them? As many as seven times? Right? I don't know about you, but maybe you, you maybe exercise a motto like three strikes and you're what? Three strikes and you're out, right? I mean, the reality is some of us operate that way, right? That's kind of just like, hey, this may be a way of dealing with it, thinking through things. The truth is Judaism, in fact, had that very rule. The rule in Judaism was this, that you should forgive someone three times and then three times, three strikes, and you're what? Out. So Peter says... As many as how many times? Seven times. That's extravagant. Now, it may not sound like it, but just consider for a moment. Think about your experiences in the church throughout your lifetime. Maybe there's someone in the church, right, who gossiped about you. Maybe moments when someone treated you or your family poorly. Maybe moments when someone you trusted in maybe betrayed that trust. Maybe there was a close friend in the church who you thought you were close with, but when you went through a hard season, they kind of seemed to ignore you or forgot about you. The truth is, though, it doesn't just extend to the church, right? I mean, let's be honest. How many of us have moments, maybe where a spouse maybe has made fun of you, maybe with friends or family present, and it was just embarrassing and it hurt? 
Maybe there's moments for some of you, right, like where you were on a job site and with your, your employer, right, and, and another coworker in some way misrepresented you to the whole and kind of like put you in a bad light with everyone. It's kind of been like maybe years of trying to work through that. So the question is this. So what if that happens in the church or your spouse or at your job and you forgive them and then they do it again? Do you forgive them twice? Let's imagine they do it again and you forgive them the second time. Now, a third time that person misrepresents you, they gossip about you. They said, I promise I'll be there the next time. The next time comes and they're not there. That spouse said, I won't do that again to you in public. And they did it again this last year at Thanksgiving or Christmas. That coworker said, you know what? I won't do that anymore with the boss. I'm sorry. That was wrong. I shouldn't have said that with everybody. And then they, they, they did it. Let's be honest. For many of us, three strikes feels like a lot. And Peter says seven. Right? And so my assumption would have to be is like, man, Peter, that's amazing, brother. And I wonder, like, Jesus, like, what are you going to say about that? Surely Jesus is going to be like, Peter, dude, you guys were just arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Brother, you are, like, at the top of the list. Seven, that's epically great. But look what happens in verse 22. And Jesus said to him, why don't we just read it out loud together? Because this is hard and I need you maybe to help me with it. Just read it. Jesus said to him, what? I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Depending on your translation, it may not say 77 times. Some of you, it may say what? 70 times 7, right? Uh, Chris, what was the guy that used to sing that song? Chris? No, I don't know. The guy, remember, you sing 70 times 7? Some of you guys, I don't know if you went to Winter Jam with us that year, and he was like, I heart you, my babies. This was like a long time ago. I don't know. But anyway, he sang a song 70 times 7, right? I, I can't remember the, the name. Anyway, so my... Chris August, I thought that was it. Yeah, Chris August. I think he sings a song about this. So again, your translation, the, the, it can be rendered either way from the original language, 77 times or 70 times 7. Here's the point. Jesus is not saying to us that, oh, dude, you better be careful. You're at 76. I mean, like you are like so close to getting there and the line's done. He's not saying like, oh, man, I'm telling you, dude, I, I, I thought things were better with us, but that was number 490. You are out. Jesus is giving us this number that literally, it's just, he's saying to us, guys, forgiveness is beyond anything you've ever thought or imagined before. Grace and mercy are greater than you have ever dreamt of being. It's, it's just this, this moment, right? I mean, of just, it's just this incalculable number, right? I mean, of like forgiveness like that. Now listen, I, I want to mention something here, and I think it just, it just bears being said. If you are in a situation where you, are, where you are being physically or sexually abused, that is not okay. Abusers might even take a verse like this and say, well, the Bible says you're supposed to forgive me 77 times or 490 times. Guys, that's not okay. So I want to be clear today, if you're a child here, we, we, again, we've got your children workers, youth workers, maybe somebody you're sitting with, a Sunday school teacher, maybe at school you've got a teacher that you can trust, a principal, right? We've got some in our congregation. I, I want to compel you, if you're here, right, and maybe you, you're in a, a, a bad season, maybe as a spouse or an adult too, we want to invite you, come to your pastors. We want to help you get help, okay? So I want to, I want to make that clear. 
Jesus is not saying to those who are in the midst of an abusive place, physically or sexually, that they should remain in that. That's not okay. So I want to be clear on that. But I think, again, the point Jesus is saying to us that forgiveness is not about keeping a list. Right? I mean, you can hear 1 Corinthians 13 ringing in the background, can't, can't you? Love keeps no what? No record of wrongs. Wow. Jesus is saying to us, this is what, forgiveness is what marks the Christian community. Forgiveness, ongoing forgiveness is what marks my people. Guys, this is hard. Let's be honest, sometimes it's, as we learned last week, it's hard to go one-to-one. Sometimes it's just easier. Is, is it not working? I try again, thank you. Um, people are waving. I was like, man, it is, behold our God. Let's get after it, dude. Just, just get on up. So I saw you guys waving up there. and So I was like, man, let's, let's, let's get after it, dude. Anyway, so hallelujah in the balcony. I was like, man, they're with me. Amen. Okay, okay. So listen, um, we encourage you again. That's why I encourage you to bring your B-I-B-L-E. I, I love the screen. I'm thankful for it. It allows us to do some things, hopefully show you from the text how we're getting our points and just point you there. But, man, I encourage you every week, have your own out, right? That screen goes. We're just going to keep trucking along. So the truth is, right, I mean, the tendency can be when it comes to someone that's hurt you is that, I mean, our, our culture even has some verbiage now. It's called the cancel what? Cancel culture. It's just easier to cancel people. Or sometimes it's easy to lie and wait, like, for a moment of revenge. If you're struggling with some of that today, maybe this story would help you. There was a king who suffered a great deal from his subjects. So much so that they were in revolt. They were constantly plotting against him. At times they would take up arms against him. But the time came when they no longer opposed his kingship. And they came and and they bowed before the king and they laid down their arms. And one of the king's friends came to him and said this. Did you not say that every rebel should die? The king stepped back and said, Yes, but I see no rebels here. What a moment of forgiveness, huh? A moment of grace. Jesus is compelling us, guys. Can you imagine? What if you looked out across the church this morning and said, Man, there's no rebels here. What if you walk back into your home and said, there's no rebels here? What if, behold, our God looked today and amongst this congregation, he says, there's no rebels here. That's the greatness of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Man, I don't know about you, but again, that's I mean, I even had you guys read it with me. Seventy seven times. That's like a heavy weight. And like we might ask, Jesus, are you serious? Like, is that just like hyper speech? Like you're just trying to make a great point? Jesus drives this point home by now telling one of the more important stories in the New Testament on forgiveness. So look with me if you would. As we come to this next truth, the extravagant forgiveness of a debt we could never pay. Jesus is going to tell a story. It's got several parts to it. But the first part is this. It's extravagant forgiveness of a debt that you and I could never pay. Pay. Look what he does. Pick up with me in verse 23. He says the statement, therefore, right? So he's building upon this call to forgive 77 times. He's saying, therefore, right? Let me tell you a story, guys, about help you understand forgiveness more. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payments to be made. Notice again. So look what you would. Verse 24. It says that, again, the time comes for the king to settle accounts. There's one that's brought to him that he owes him, right? Notice how much he owes. How much does he owe the king? 10,000 talents. The reality is this is a hard number to calculate, right? I mean, the ESV study Bible says that in today's language, that's about $6 billion. Some estimate that maybe that represented 20 years of wages in that day and time. The point is similar back to the 70 times 7, right? Jesus is saying this is an incalculable number. This guy owes a debt that no one could ever pay. Like it's, I mean, this guy, he has no resources and he has no time. There's no hope for this guy. So don't get in there and think, well, maybe I might be able to pay it. That's, that's not, Jesus is saying this guy owes beyond whatever he could ever pay. And this guy's got a desperate plight. And so guess what? What do you do when you're desperate? Look what he does. Look what happens right here. Verse 26. So, or therefore, the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me and I'll repay everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The master, the king, knows it's impossible for that servant to ever repay. Right? He can't do it. And yet he shows extravagant forgiveness, extravagant grace, 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 God's grace, grace that will what, church? Pardon and cleanse within, amen? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than what? All our sin. That's what Jesus, I mean, that's what he's saying. That's this kind of grace. No, it's interesting. Look what it says the king does. Out of pity. Now, it's possible some translations have another word there. Does your translation have another word? Who, who said compassion? Compassion, yeah. So this word's often rendered pity or compassion. In fact, Matthew uses this exact word five times in his gospel. Three times in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 14, and Matthew chapter 20, it's this pity or compassion that moves Jesus to heal people that are sick or suffering from affliction. We saw, in fact, back in Matthew 15, that it was this same word that Matthew used when Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd, that 4,000 people are there, right? They're just the men alone who don't have food, and it moved him to feed them. And now this fifth use that Matthew has, this word here, is in this story, when he says, and out of pity or compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. What's the point? That in all five uses of that word, pity or compassion, in Matthew's gospel, it speaks of people who can't heal themselves, who couldn't feed themselves, and who cannot save themselves. This is a great word of pity and mercy and compassion. That's, guys, listen. What we have to understand about Matthew 18 is this beautiful moment that actually what Jesus is doing is revealing God's heart to us. He's painting a picture for us of how great God's forgiveness is. Because listen, let's be honest. In this room, we've all messed up. It's just true. I mean, I, one of the boys this week been reading through First John and we were just having a conversation at the table and he just said, well, Dad, if anybody says they're not, a, they're not a, right, if anybody says they've not sinned, they're what? They're a liar, right? All of a sudden at the table, he's like, Dad, if anybody says they haven't sinned, they're a liar. The truth is not in them. So again, we're all in this room sinners, right? All of us. And yet, here is this great moment of pity and compassion. This is God. Jesus revealing God's heart unto you and I to say, this is how forgiving God is. This is how kind God is. 
It's the act of the will of the king here to show mercy and compassion. He looks at this subject and says, listen, you can't save or rescue yourself. You can't pay this debt that you owe. Listen, the only thing that will rescue you now is my love, my grace, my mercy. You're hearing it, aren't you? Behold our what? God. That's Him. It's this, this moment of kindness and mercy and, and grace that moves God. Guys, this is good news. Why? Because we, just like this servant, owe a debt that is beyond comprehension. Remember, Jesus is telling a parable about sin and forgiveness. And, and let's be honest, all of us, let's think about our sin. When you think about sin in your life, listen, sin represents every evil action or deed, every hateful word that you've said, every evil bit of darkness and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and lustful desires and greed and gossip that's hiding in our hearts and in our minds. All of that represents an incalculable debt that we owe to God. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know that my Father's compassion exceeds your sin and your guilt. That's a God you need to behold. That's a God you need to anchor and rest in. And yet, listen, and yet, Jesus shows us the heart of God to forgive that great debt. And how does he do it? By sending his only begotten son. That what church? That whosoever, come on, would believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news of the gospel. You owe a debt to God that you could never pay. But Jesus on your behalf paid that debt to God that you could be free and forgiven. Would you receive that today by repentance and faith? The truth is, Jesus is laying the foundation. Why? Because he wants us to understand that the only way we will understand or be able to forgive others is first to know how good it feels to be forgiven ourselves. Forgiveness of others is a response to the grace and mercy that we ourselves have received. It's this hope of the gospel. So we've got to think, man, this guy who's been forgiven of that, can you imagine if you had that great of debt? Right? The creditors are coming to you. They're calling. Right? I mean, it's coming to that moment. You owe this great debt. You can't pay. And all of a sudden, they come and tell you, guess what? We've canceled your debt. You're forgiven. Can you imagine the freedom, the weight that would come off your shoulder? Could you imagine how you might live differently? But unfortunately, that's not what happens. Next, we see this extravagant wickedness of not forgiving others. The extravagant wickedness of not forgiving others. Verse 28 says, but... Jesus continues telling the story. He says, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Right? So a denarius was a day's wages. So simply, this is about a hundred days wages. So again, you're trying to, that this 10,000 talents, this incalculable number this guy owes, compared to seemingly this small amount that this man owes, this hundred denarii. So he finds some guy that owes him money, right? This servant's been forgiven of this great debt. Now he goes out and finds this guy who owes him money. And look what it says he begins to do. He begins to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant, guess what he does? He does the exact same thing he did. He fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. It's interesting, right? This man uses the exact same words that he had been using with the king. Look what he says. Have patience 
with me. The word patience, right, depending on your translation, it's a compound word. Some of you, your, your, ver- your translation of the Bible may say long-suffering there, right? It indicates this sense of suffering in the Bible of, of this boiling passion, but typically it indicates anger, right? So there's a sense of which this passion is boiling up in someone, but they're, they're withholding that anger. They're withholding that response. I mean, consider maybe yourself for a moment. How is God's long-suffering or patience with you in your sin, how has that now impacted the way that you forgive others? Could you say that His grace to you is now given you by the power of the Holy Spirit, the strength to bear injuries from others, to bear hurtful words, to, to bear mistreatment, to bear being overlooked or not acknowledged? I mean, are you able to endure all of this without melting down into resentment and anger? Clearly, that's the kind of patience and mercy God has with us. And Jesus clearly expects that's the kind of patience and mercy the little children, his followers, will have with one another. The reality is that you may be here today and think, you know what, Blake? Actually, I'm pretty good right now. Like, there may have been some points in my life when I was struggling to forgive some people, but man, I'm doing pretty good. Now, there's some people I know, they they probably need to hear this message. Like, they probably should hear, I'm probably going to share it with them, probably encourage them to listen, but, but me, I'm pretty good. I want to caution us all to hear this text. And I want to hear it maybe just for a moment through the lens of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. For that thought that maybe, hey, this doesn't, it doesn't apply as much to my life right now. I'm good. I feel like I've forgiven everybody. I'm on the same page. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Beginning in verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Listen to the statement that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. It's interesting that he speaks of anger like this root of bitterness. Why? I think just like roots, they have a tendency to hide, don't they? Have you noticed that? The anger that can happen, we have a tendency, like it, we can almost like cover it up, conceal it. it. Sometimes, let's be honest, it even hides itself from us. Like this moment happens and all of a sudden you like ignite and you're like, dude, I didn't even realize I was that mad. Like where'd that come from? Like a moment in traffic, a moment with a family member, a moment with somebody at work, a moment like you're watching the news and you hear this, like somebody say something, you're like, just like a rocket ship. And like, you're like, what, where did that come from? I mean, the truth is, for most of us, we want to try and minimize our anger, right? And, and so we say to our spouses, our friends, maybe people at church, like when they say, hey, are you okay? You're like, no, 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 I, I'm good, I'm good. But the reality is, deep down, the root of bitterness is working. And you may think, well, Blake, it's, it's just me, I can deal with it. No, look what the writer says here. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, by the root of bitterness, what happens, church? Many become defiled. Bitterness, anger will begin to express itself and cause issues in all kinds of areas. Unforgiveness can wreak havoc in our church. It can wreck your marriage. It can destroy relationships with parents and children. Right? It, it can cause you to come to a place maybe with someone who used to be like maybe like a best friend or a neighbor that was so close to. And now when you drive by their house or when you see them out in public, literally you turn and go the other way. You can't even look at them. That's this danger. Listen, he says, it causes trouble. It begins to spring up. So listen, I think all of us can't hear this text today and think, well, I'm good with everybody right now. This text applies to us all. We must all today guard against the root of bitterness. 
We must say, we must be willing in this place to say, Lord, search my heart. Father, see, show me, God, areas of bitterness in my heart and life. God, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me to repentance and forgiveness. So we might ask the question, well, how now is the king going to respond if this one who has been forgiven so great is not willing to forgive someone so little? I think we come to this truth that Jesus is going to show us, forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Look what he says as this text comes to a close. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master, to the king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Who he says further, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. The reality is that man will never be able to pay that debt. This is an eternal punishment. Notice that Jesus calls this unforgiveness. Look what he says here back to him. Again, that statement, right? He says to him, you wicked servant, right? The word wicked um, is used by Jesus in other points to speak of like bad fruit. He says like bad fruit ultimately represents a bad what? A bad tree. And so Jesus is saying to us, listen, as you see this one who has been forgiven, unwilling to forgive others, it's in fact starting to reveal something going on in their heart. It's revealing a corrupt tree. It's hard, but Jesus is saying this person's true character is being revealed. In fact, in verse 35, he's going to say this is happening in the heart. This area of unforgiveness is taking place deep within our hearts. It's a heart that's failed to understand the greatness of what we have been forgiven. Like, look what he says again. Look what he says here. Um, verse 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. That's what he's saying, guys. Should you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Should you have not showed compassion? In fact, in Matthew 5, 44, Jesus is talking. He says, love your who? Enemies and pray for those who what? Persecute you. So showing yourself to truly be my disciples. Listen, forgiving others doesn't make us Jesus' disciples. It just simply reveals the fact that we are his disciples. Why? Because to err is human, but to forgive is what? Christian. To err is human, but to forgive is Christian. It's been said by others that we are never more like God when we forgive. And we are never more less like God when we don't forgive. We are never more like God when we forgive. And we are never less like God when we don't forgive. I had a brother that we were talking through the sermon. He said, hey man, might we just ask a question there? How much like God are you? How much like God are you? In 16 years of ministering here, one of the most dangerous and deadliest things I have seen in my time is unforgiveness. It's, it's man, it, it can wreck families and marriages it can have dire consequences on the church. It's, I mean, it's, it's truly, it's heartbreaking to see it happen and see it unfolding. And man, it's just, it's just hard to see that moment happening. And there have been moments, though, on the other end, I'm just going to say, like, I've seen some of you guys 
show some of the greatest grace and mercy and forgiveness. Like it's like, I'm like, I can't believe they're forgiving like that. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like I think of one specific example that stands out above maybe all the rest. There's just this moment in which this individual had been done wrong, not like once or twice, but like multiple times. And I'll never forget sitting down with them and saying, listen, I know how you're doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, but I want you to know that I still stand amazed watching it. That kind of mercy and forgiveness and grace is such a great example to my own soul. And so I want to say thank you when you guys forgive and you, you live like that. You model it. You encourage me. You encourage our church. You show the greatness of God's forgiveness and grace and mercy. Man, what a moment. So listen to Jesus as he closes. He says, so also, verse 35 of Matthew 18, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Again, he's thrown in the jail and... and He's not going to get out until he's paid all his debt, right? He says, this is how my father will forgive or will treat every one of you if, right? If you do not forgive your brother from where? Your heart. It's an issue of the heart. Only God can change the heart, beloved. We must come to him bowing, merciful, gracious God. Change my heart. This is a hard saying, isn't it? I want to caution all of us. Don't just immediately soften this and say, well, once saved, always saved. I'm good. I can live any way I want. I think... Jeremiah the prophet would say to us, is God's word not like a hammer hitting the hard places of our hearts? The reality is, as we hear this message of forgiveness, right, it's hard. But let this message of forgiveness be one that drives you and I to forgive. Let it be one that compels us as those who have been born again, those who have experienced such great grace. Might we go and do likewise? That's what Jesus says. Right? Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? I pray today this text drives all of us to look into our hearts and lives and asking God to show us the areas in which we're refusing to forgive. Areas in which we're harboring that root of bitterness. And to remember to err is human, but to forgive is Christian. To err is human, but to forgive is Christian. Would you just bow your heads just for a moment, close your eyes. I would do something just a little bit different today as we finish. It's likely that some of us in this room are just struggling with forgiveness today. Again, it could be from any number of things and places and times. Maybe this text itself just conjured up old feelings and emotions from things long ago. Maybe you're here this morning, and again, we don't normally ever do this, but if you would be just willing this morning to say, Blake, I'm struggling to forgive. I'm dealing with this. My heart is struggling with unforgiveness. Would you maybe just this morning just be willing to slip your hand up for a moment? I just want to scan the congregation and just, just have a moment of quiet prayer. I want you to be praying for your own soul and for other brothers and sisters. But maybe this morning, just especially, you feel like, man, I'm struggling with unforgiveness. Just keep your hands up for a moment. I just, I just want to pray for you guys as I see it. Keep them up. I'm going to scan the, I'm scanning just row by row just for a moment. Just keep them up. Anybody else? All right. Thank you, guys. I want to let us all know as we come. Let's just go to the, the Father in prayer. Father, we come and
we all struggle, God. We're all weak in this place. Um, I just pray now, God, that your grace and your mercy would move our hearts to forgive as you have forgiven us. God, protect the church. Protect our families. Protect this community, Lord God. Let, as believers, set an example of how to forgive. I just pray you would help us, Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.